0: A graphic novel, a TV show Well, it's not TV, it's HBO And will this thing
1: succeed? And by how much, man? And some might cheer and some might scoff Because it's Damon Lindelof But either way, we're off to watch some Watchmen Watching watchmen talking watchmen analyzing watchmen and maybe arguing over watchmen. Welcome
2: to Watchmen Watch. Who watches it? We get ready to watch it as we are coming up on Watching Watchmen on HBO. But first, we're going to be watching a comic book, which just kind of sits there. I'm Alex. I'm Justin. I'm Pete. And we are going to be talking about the final issue of Uh-oh. the Watchmen comic, yeah. the 12th issue, A Stronger Loving World, as we wrap up our recap of the comic and transition Totally seamlessly into recapping the TV show. No Ooh. breaks there. Don't even worry about it. Uh, before we get into it, though, I'm a little concerned here. I see you, Justin. I see yes. you, Pete. Our fourth co-host, including yes. myself, Come on, because man,
1: because four people, Come on, not, man. isn't here. What's going on? Well, I, it's great that you're here. I actually have some very exciting news. Ooh. Alan is here. Alan, go ahead and introduce <gasps> yourself. No, I'm. Uh, I'm just kidding. He's not
0: here. He's oh, He bailed that again. Was, oh, yeah. That we're was doing like this really over, insulting that. Impression. Yeah,
2: we do this over video Skype chat. So even though I can see you when you start doing that voice, I was like, I'm convinced he's here. Yeah. Uh, that's how yes, good your voice was. I am here. Oh, he's here again. PDC No, that, Al- that's
1: just me. That's oh, how, that's how okay. seamless when you're a classically trained actor as oh, I am. Boy. You can slip in and out of a character. Um, yeah. Sorry, Alan Moore um, isn't going to make it um, for the 12th and final time.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. man. That is too bad. Well, hopefully I know how psyched he is about the show. He's been out on the promotional tour, chatting it up, talking about what's going on on HBO.
1: Yeah, he's at a Buffalo Wild Wings premiere party for um, Watchmen. <laughs> oh, I'm going to
0: be there for that. He has a we'll whole be- new. Dubs? You me? A,
1: Come on! He has a sauce that's branded the Alan Moore um, uh, nuclear explosion wings.
2: I I heard they're also putting that on the Rorschach
1: shows. Yep, that's like, uh, th- those are nachos. Yes, it's tricky. Uh, he's Alan Moore has lost his step as a writer, especially when it comes to naming uh, product tie-in appetizers. He used to be so good
2: at that too. It's surprising. yes,
1: that's right. Um, he was the one that came up with unlimited breadsticks. They used to be um, <laughs> unlimited potential Dr. Manhattan breadsticks. Huh. Yeah. Uh, that's all
2: Were why I always feel like it's five minutes to midnight whenever I go to the Olive Garden. 100%. <laughs> yeah. Guys. Their,
1: their original uh, slogan was, when you're here, you have a blue dick. <laughs> they changed it to family
2: Yeah oh, uh, I remember I went there one time And I was like hey we've been waiting for a while For our food can we get our food And they are like oh you ate it 35 minutes
1: ago Yep that's that's how they made a fortune In the early days
2: <laughs> They get you every time they get you Do you know who also gets you Adrian Veidt gets you Ozymandias gets you and he gets the entire world He got them he did the ultimate punked episode. He punked the entire world yep. in this issue. I'm really glad I went
1: for that reference. No, this last. is the context we should speak about this final issue. It's <laughs> is the ultimate punking. Yes.
2: Yeah. Uh, so the- when we left the uh, characters of this book, I was about to say the what when we left.
1: When we left the characters, we said a hearty goodbye last issue. <laughs> and here we are, knock, knock, knocking on the characters' doors again. Let's go inside issue 12. <laughs> <laughs> uh, hello? Watch it. You there? Her- hello, it's
0: me.
2: Alex,
1: uh, Alan Moore.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, uh, the New York got destroyed by a giant psychic squid that Ozymandias dropped there in order to... Create a fake alien invasion, which is something that we affirm in, we talk about more of this issue, uh in order to promote and cause world peace. Uh, Right now, Night Owl and Rorschach are both at Adrian Veidt's headquarters. Uh, They've just been told about his plan. They are pretty shocked at the end of this issue when it actually turned out to actually have happened. Um, Meanwhile, Silk Spectre and Dr. Manhattan are all the way up on Mars, though they're heading that way as well. And everything comes crashing together in this oversized final issue. Before we get into it, this feels like a very dumb question to ask with Watchmen. Having revisited the series, what'd you think about it? <laughs> uh,
1: well but really
2: I, I mean like we've been talking about this all along, but I'm curious now that we've reached the end now, and we 're going to go through the whole issue and we 're going to walk through the issue. But what was your general take on it with this rereading now in two thousand and nineteen
1: I think two uh, we change as readers over the years, obviously, and mm-hmm. i haven't fully sat down and read this in probably six or seven years. And I do think, um, just as a, a fan of comics, uh, the, the longer the older you get and the more time passes, the time that you, more time that you live and like our fan of comics are just fi- are in the world where the political atmosphere chain is changing all the time. I think th- this comic deepens so much, so I do think that happened, I, and I think the topicality of reading it right now in our political atmosphere, um, the current sort of uh, state of the world. And with the series about to come out and sort of reframe this, this whole series, it's it's an exciting time to read this comic.
0: How about you, Pete? How are you feeling about it now? Well, it's one, it's you know, it's a, it's a lot to talk about. But like, uh, for sure, I mean, the problem is, you know, when you're looking at a comic like this that was written so long ago, there's a lot of bullshit that you have to kind of try to ignore, like the female characters, the over sexualization, the you know, there's a lot of like. Bullshit, uh, but um, I, I will say
1: that was that was there in the original read.
0: Yeah, yeah. they didn't yes. take the
1: women any more women out. They, they didn't. <laughs> it didn't used to pass the Bechtel test, and then now suddenly has failed it.
2: Yes. Uh, well, mm-hmm. I will say uh, this is coming right off of right before we taped. There was a thread in our Patreon Slack about this very issue, which frankly I think is what Pete's uh, very rightly responding to, and that's something we've talked about all along in the podcast that this it's an incredible comic book. It's an undeniable artistic achievement, but it's also very much a product of its time at the same moment. Um, I think something I struck by, which you've talked about a lot and you just mentioned, Justin is the very timeless aspects of the book in terms of, criticizing society, talking about panic, talking about conspiracy theories that feel so relevant right now. But to Pete's point, same sort of thing that, yes, the female characters are absolutely underserved and I think from a 2019 perspective, when we've seen I'm not going to say an infinite more, but a lot more female creators and male creators also being more cognizant about these sort of things in terms of creating books. We've certainly seen a revolution in comic books. I mean, if you look at sales, the predominant force in comic books today isn't Marvel comic books. It isn't DC comic books. It's Raina Tellmeyer, who is mostly writing graphic novels for young females almost more than anything, and that's, if you look at the New York Times bellsellers right now, that's what people are reading, that's what they're being influenced by. So in a certain sense, this, just from the comic book perspective, is responding to comic books that were coming out in the mid-80s, and before that, and pushing those forward. A lot of, like we've talked about over the course of the podcast, comics since then have been responding and riffing off of Watchmen, often taking the wrong lessons in terms of uber macho and dark and grimness and all these things. But to its credit, despite the fact that it does have some serious issues in terms of the female characters, which I think we'll also get to later in this issue when we get to certain material with Sally Jupiter in particular, I think most, one of the most controversial things that happens at all 12 issues happens yeah. towards the end here. Yes. Uh, But there are also things that are still very relevant. And from a modern read, again, like we've been talking about all along, Alan Moore and Dave Givens are never telling you this is these are good people. This is the right way of doing things.
1: Well, that's what I feel like is to your the the thing of taking the wrong lessons. Like this is not like a uh, misogynistic comic in that. It's like, hey, this is these characters are right. This is what's happening. It, it, this comic, I feel like, criticizes so much of the comic book industry and the character development that most comics were having in their pages back then when it came out. So, I, I, I agree. Like, the female characters are underserved, and you don't see them a lot, but they they are they have depth of character. They're not just there as mm-hmm. objects. Um, and then the the male characters are like mostly horrible people, and they're shown to be that way. The greatest heroes are the most flawed. And Rorschach in this issue, who is the only one that really has integrity at the end of the day, is just mercilessly struck down. So yep. I'm just it, saying, it, I think there's there's this comic is subverting a lot of the stereotypes as well mm-hmm. as it upholds them.
0: Yeah, that's true. But I mean, uh, you know, it's it's also like very, you know, like you're right with a lot of things. But you're saying, yeah, they, they don't. But the female characters don't. They don't have conversations on their own. It's always talking about and like at the end, not to kind of jump ahead, but like you're saying, like you know, she she loves her rapist. I mean, that's like that's it's yeah, it's not well done. No, that's a. I understand what you're saying, um, but like you know, a lot. No, I'm
2: on board with what you're saying, Pete, for the most part, except for the it's not well done because to Justin's point. And this is very much jumping to the end and talking about the Sally Jupiter of it all, but it's it's complicated emotions that she's feeling. And I think you don't have to agree with what she's feeling, but it is a very it's a very realistic thing for people to not feel the right thing all the time, you know, to, in fact, have the wrong feelings about the wrong people. That's how gaslighting works. That's how abuse works. Is that you feel feel something or think you feel something towards your abuser, even if it's not actually a good thing to feel? If that yeah makes sense,
1: it's one thing to glorify what happens at the end, and I agree mm-hmm. it is controversial. When she kisses that picture, uh, it's like it leaves you with a bad feeling. Yeah, but I and I maybe there it's hard to tell what the intention of that move mm-hmm. is, but. It's definitely confusing, and it sh- but it does feel like it's coming from a place of the character. But the character is wrong, like, in mm-hmm. in feeling that way. The character is, I mean, it's hard to say that, I guess, but the character feels, it makes you feel bad uh, about <laughs> everyone's lives in this comic.
2: Yeah, I could be wrong. I'm trying to flip through the comic quickly to take a look at it. Um, I guess she doesn't, uh, for some reason I thought it was there, but uh, I think... Don't they mention, don't they give her, like, nostalgia or something like that, the perfume, at some point in that scene? Or am I imagining that? I think uh, you're imagining it, that. He's Dan, Dan's she, wearing oh, it
1: when he's with Laurie.
2: There you go. That's what I'm thinking of. So, I think... What I take away from that scene, and we're very much jumping to the end of the issue here, just to give you guys a little context listening at home. uh, Dan and Lori are in disguise after everything else that we're going to talk about in the issue. They go to visit Sally Jupiter uh, and chat with her a little bit. Uh, Lori reveals that she knows her father is Eddie Blake. Sally starts sobbing, talks about the complicated emotion of it. uh, And as Justin mentioned, ends up kissing the picture. Uh, What I took away from that is that feeling of nostalgia, right? It's almost the same thing that Ozymandias is working for, like the same way he's talking about this very vague, wonderful, hopeful future where everybody's going to work together when in practice, it may not turn out that way nostalgia is the same way right we have fuzzy memories we think warm things about things well there's another
1: there's another way to read it i mean i agree with you there's another way to read it too like she's just seen her daughter who uh, she thought was dead surprised her by walking in is uh, in a relationship that ostensibly seems happy they're talking about having kids and i think there's something it, it could just be like she she's happy that she had her child despite mm-hmm. the horrible circumstances right. that uh, in relationships she had with the comedian. So you know, it's like uh, a lot of great writing. It's open for interpretation, and one of the interpretations is super fucked up, but there are others <laughs> that you can take from that.
2: Well, and the other the, thing we talked about back in the issue where it was revealed that Eddie Blake was Laurie's father when she realized that, I think that was issue nine, maybe, maybe issue 10, mm-hmm. um, is... That there's and I think we disagreed by this, but I still stick by the interpretation that Eddie Blake does feel something towards Laurie and he feels something towards Sally that doesn't in any way forgive his actions or what he's done or make him less of a monster. But that doesn't mean he can't also be passionate towards these people in the same way, though. Ultimately, he is a bad guy. Uh, Pete, I interrupted you, though. What were you going to say?
0: Well, I was just going to say that, like, you know, like, it, you uh, you know, some of these things that happen are sure awful. We're trying to show these people as not good people. Sure. But like also like all Lori does is she's just sleeping with dudes every time you see her or she's on her knees in a sexualized position. So it's like, you know, if there was some kind of like gleam, you know, some kind of good quality that they would. Tried to wow. portray. I think it would just go a little I'll bit t- lo- easier with, like, you know, kind of being like, "Oh, okay." Well, I'll
2: tell you what. I I will disagree with you at certain points on this issue in particular. That I do feel like has a re-owning of the Lori Blake character and does push her forward into giving her much more agency which we'll get to in a moment. So mm. let's say, let's put a pin into this discussion. I'm sure we'll revisit it throughout the issue. And Why, yeah. why don't we jump into a page-by-page page of what's going on? Real easy, by the way, to get through these first couple of pages, I'm just going to say. Yeah. Uh, just uh, so, real easy, just like <laughs> flipping right through them, just a bunch of destruction, squid legs, et cetera, et cetera. Uh-huh, it's great. You can fun, just like pale
1: horse. Would love to see pale horse sold out. <laughs> exactly. Uh, these, man, this...
2: Uh, has this series used full page splashes at any point previously?
1: No, not, and that definitely not back to back. So I think, uh, that's what is so amazing about this is the way to sort of hold that back and then to let, uh, Dave Gibbons just like go to town here and, and the colors in this issue, these, Mm these pages as well are just so amazing. John Higgins. Yeah. Um, yeah. We see little, uh, like, references to everything we've seen before. We see characters that we've met who are now laying dead in the streets. It's just such epic uh, storytelling um, and used at just the right moment in the series. I mean, I
0: definitely... I'm sorry. Go ahead, Pete. Uh, I definitely, like, looked through it to see if there was anything like this. And the closest you get is when they're on Mars, but it's not, like, you know... Mm -hmm giant scenes like this just such a great like they thought about the paneling and the coloring and how it was going to hit you so well i mean the layers uh it's very impressive
2: yeah Uh, two things in particular i want to call out about the sequence which is let's see one two three four Five, six pages long. Uh, The first page is blood pouring over the clock, which, of course, calls to mind the comedian's button because it's the same colors there with the blood and the clock, even though it's a different design. And the sequence actually
1: ends on page six with a a very small comedian's button underneath the news uh, thing. Yeah, that's right. Uh, But it's also, that's been
2: the back matter the entire time. Every time you get to the end page, you see the blood dripping down to the clock. Uh, to be honest, I'm not 100% sure if that's in just the collected edition or that was in the original issues. Uh, but mm. that's, I think super fascinating. The other thing that I think is incredible about this is the way they slowly work out the squid because you look at that first page. Yeah. It's not there. You just see the destruction Second page. If you're not looking closely, uh, at least my eye initially went towards Madison Square Garden. You see the Pale Horse and crystal Kristallnacht uh, poster. You see the destruction there. And it isn't until you look at the next page and you go, wait a second, what's that weird thing coming across the left side of the page? that you look up and you see it connects to this tentacle. It's clearer and clearer as you go on, as you see more destruction, until you get to that sixth page, and you see the squid face reveal the same as that drawing we saw back on the island so many issues ago at this point. Uh, And as you mentioned, Justin, papers falling everywhere with war. We see the news, we see the comedian button. It's really everything coming together at this point.
1: Yeah, it's so good. And just the way that that final squid uh, panel, you really get to look it right in the eye and just see what a, what a monstrous creation this whole thing was. Yeah, it's the final squid down, as they say.
0: Oh, now, come
1: on. What?
2: Uh, then we get into a series of pages where Laurie and Dr. Manhattan have come back to Earth, Dr. Manhattan being predictably an asshole about all of this. Uh,
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: he really is. I don't know why yeah. like the rest of the rest of the series. I was like, yeah, I get it. You're all out of time or whatever. But this, he's standing in the middle of this and he's like, Oh, this is interesting. And I'm like, fuck you do
1: man. Come yeah. on. Yeah. What I th- I do he's think he's kind of like,
0: smiling as he's looking around.
1: Well, I think he's intoxicated by this feeling he doesn't know what's happening. This is the first time this has happened really since his accident where he is uh, unaware of what it's a, of the first mystery he's really faced where he wasn't in control in a long time. And he's clearly intoxicated by it. He doesn't care about any of the other characters really in this. He's just uh, enjoying his little fix here and he really sees himself as a god no matter what he actually is.
2: Now, not to open this particular can of worms again, but one thing that I understand the complications here, but one thing that I do think is in Laurie's credit that I really like in the scene is she is the one character in the book, up until later on when Rorschach starts crying, and we'll certainly talk about that, that feels any sort of emotion. She has any sort of feeling about what's going on. Night Owl and Rorschach are... Literally and figuratively very removed from everything that's going on. Ozymandias is obviously very into his plan. Dr. Manhattan is being an asshole. But Laurie is sobbing and noticing the little things. And I think that does point to her power as a character. The the reason I say it's a complication is because it's the one female character who is allowed to feel things. But to your point, Justin, I do wonder if that is them pointing out how comics work, that the men need to be uber men and the women are allowed to be women, maybe? Or am I giving too, them too much credit there?
1: I mean, I think it could be. Also, I just it just tracks with her character. Like, she's someone who is, like, very empathetic, I feel like, throughout, mm-hmm. and just always going through it. Whether that's attributed to her or just, like, women are like that, says I, Alan Moore. But uh, I, I do think also... One Another good thing about the way she acts in this scene is she's fully moved on from her feelings toward John and is just like, mm-hmm. all right, take me out of here now. I'm sick of being around you and this horrifying scene. Yeah. Uh,
2: so then we do cut to Adrian Veidt, who's still talking tonight, Alan Warshak. And I love Doordell's reaction here. where He's like, well, that's ridiculous. What are, what are you even talking about? That's That can't possibly be true. Why, why do you think it's important that he has that reaction?
1: I I don't know. I've never, Night Owl in this whole issue, he just, a character that we're supposed to really feel for and be like, oh, he is the, maybe the hero of this story. Like he's the one who really helps put it together and is like trying to have this romantic relationship that we're all behind. He's like, doesn't believe Adrian Veidt. He doesn't really do anything in this issue. He just sort of floats there. And it's mm-hmm. weird because he, over the arc of his of of Night Owl through this series has been like he really got his mojo back, and in this issue he's just like, hey, "What? Uh, I don't know what what's happening. I don't believe <laughs> any of you." And then he's like, "I'll have sex with you, Laurie." Yeah.
2: What's your take on it, Pete? Do you well, have? I think, uh, well, I think
0: that ahead. he is like, yeah, he's just kind of in total shock it's not you know not really comprehending what's happening he's not really aware and uh yeah and like just kind of and that's what sucks is he got to this point and he's not you know at least rorschach was trying to fight uh but yeah he's just in complete shell shock mode and kind of like shut down um which, you know, I definitely have heard, like, people say that, like, when something, like, tragic or they can't believe happens, they just kind of go into ghost mode, and they're just kind mm-hmm. of, like, kind of, like, removed from all of that's happening. Um, yeah, I, I'm sorry, I believe that's called enacting
1: ghost protocol. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what it is. That's why yeah. in ghost protocol, Tom Cruise is like, what? Wait, what? What's, what's happening yeah. in this movie? That's oh, what he says. I don't want to deal
2: with this. No, thanks. Yeah. But... They're oh. like their mission. If you choose to accept it, and he's like, "No thanks, I'm good." <laughs> Please blow yeah, up tape.
0: I agree with I agree with you. What you're saying about Lori, like she does, she's the only one who, like gets her shit together here and puts up a fight. But then mm-hmm. the fact that like, you know, uh, let's just have sex again. It's like God, you know, like can she just you know? I mean, wouldn't what did she though? I don't know. I think I, it's that was proactive. after after that. Like I'm a man. I want to have sex all the time, but like. <laughs> after, like, okay, first big off, reveal,
1: big reveal, Pete, for the end of even this even right pod- now
0: on our podcast. No, but like, this turns uh, you on. No. This is
1: the only time you don't want to have sex is when you're talking to <laughs> oh us. Oh my god,
0: yes, that seems <laughs> so, weird. But I'm my point insulted, is, like, right after all that happened, like, it seems like that's you know, like, hey, by the way, uh, you know, I'm sorry
2: to interrupt you one more time, but what if I put on my sexiest voice, beat? <laughs>
1: I'm so hot right now. <laughs> uh, thank
0: Anyways,
2: you I'm starting to feel like I didn't have my mojo, like night owl.
0: Yeah, I don't think it's you. True. I don't think you do have it. Are um, you sure, Pete? <laughs> Please, for the love of God, stop.
1: Uh, also, Alex, objectively, that's not a sexy voice.
0: <laughs> oh, are you sure? But that's too much to have happen. You sound like you have a cold. <laughs> to then want to do I that? I do. It's a point. very bad cold. Do you like that? Sorry, Pete. Get a high Sorry Pete.
1: Alex, be quiet. Pete, it's your turn to talk. No more sex talk.
0: <laughs> I'm just saying it's it's too much to have okay. happen and then be like, hey, let's have sex.
1: Well, but I will say it I mean we'll get to that in a second, but it's Lori's idea. It's not like Dan's like, All right, yeah, let's get lucky.
0: <laughs> yeah, but it's I'm just saying her only purpose is a sexual object. She should have more is, I, would like um, I,
2: I understand what you're saying, and I understand you're hitting the same drum, but uh, in that scene, and we're definitely jumping ahead, Lori is the one who says it, and this might be a shock to you, but some women like to have sex as well, <laughs> so yeah, but I dude. don't know, I I think that's her actually taking control, if anything, when there's all these men who have been wanting to have sex with her, and she finally says, "No, you know what? It's the end of the world. This is what I want. This is what I need right now."
1: Cool. And and in her time of crisis in the past, when her marriage was falling apart and she didn't know what was what she was going to do, she did find comfort in Dan's arms. And maybe it's that. But uh, on Pete's side, it is weird that they did. She. That's the scene we see with them. They don't have a much mm-hmm. of a romantic moment they just fuck by a pool uh so uh it's definitely a surprising thing when i was a and kid a, I was, uh, when i was a kid also, reading this i was like what
0: it gives dr <laughs> okay. manhattan a, he's happy for some reason about that which is weird
1: because i think he at that moment i i've always read that as he, they belong together and he's like i should go i don't belong here <laughs> i got to
2: go i got to go to space i guess yeah, like good. when I
1: walk in on my partners having sex with another man, I <laughs> yeah. smile and I'm like, "On to the next town." <laughs> wow. Oh
2: man. All right. So, uh, Night Owl and Rorschach are there. There's a great series of uh, panels that happen where Night Owl is calling out Adrian Veidt. He's like, "You got assassinated. What if he had shot you instead of the secretary?" And Adrian says, I suppose I would have had to catch the bullet, wouldn't I? And Night Owl says, you, nah, come on, that's completely, you couldn't really do that. And then there's just a silent battle of Adrian fight smiling and looking at him. I love that expression so much.
1: I know, talk it's, about being an asshole. What a dick yes. in this uh, series of panels. Now, I always thought this was set up long before the whole catching the bullet thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it really is just like he says it here and then he does it a couple of pages later, which I thought was so funny. That's become such a thing associated with him, but yeah. Yeah, it really is just like a last minute. Like I could do that. See? And he
0: does it. That, well, that's well, fu- I think, Oh, go ahead, Pete. That's fucked up though. That the evil villain smile is your favorite panel, dude.
2: No, I just think it's a well-drawn expression on the, the part of Dave Givens and the way that it's timed out there is excellent. Uh, the The thing I would say, Justin, about that, that that points to, which we've talked about before, is that Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons made sure that these issues were a package. You know, there's certainly things that are long running throughout. There are things plot wise that pay throughout. But every issue, (laughs) it does introduce things and then pay them off several pages later. You know, there's still... This sense of, yes, this is the last issue, but if you're going to be plunking down your money to buy just this issue, you're still going to get
1: kind of a complete story at the same time, which I think is pretty neat. Yeah, uh, definitely. Um, I just think it's funny how that has grown to be such a bigger thing about his character over the years. Mm -hmm. Another thing about about Night Owl, I do think um, Adrian Veidt is sort of on a pedestal for Night Owl in the same way that Night Owl 1 was for him. So that might explain some of his uh, sort of inactive uh, inactivity throughout this whole issue. Is He's his hero in a way, it seems. And his hero just became the biggest villain in all of history.
2: Yeah. Now, we get to the next part when Dr. Manhattan shows up. And this, to me, is fascinating. This gets back to something that we talked about with the last issue with Ozymandias, which is... That Frankly, he's actually been improvising a lot. He hasn't really had these well-laid plans. And this point, when Dr. Manhattan shows up, there's a point where he's like, mm, maybe he's going to turn back. We'll see what happens. And as soon as he does not, Adrian Veidt goes into oh shit mode, where <laughs> he just has to throw everything at him because he's not sure anything will work. Uh, so that's one thing going on. The other thing that's really well, wait, cool but on that.
1: On that, though, yeah, it is funny that he uh, he has this very, like, years-long plan that he, he put together. And then his plan to beat Dr. Manhattan was like, I hope he follows my cat down this hallway. And then <laughs> turns on the thing. Um, so, yeah, he's definitely not as great. Much like Dr. Manhattan, Adrian Veidt is also not all he's cracked up to be. It's just what he thinks about himself and where we go along with it. And I think that's why so many people take the wrong lessons from this. They're like, that that character's confident. He must be right. And he's uh, just a human like anybody else, both these guys.
0: He just really believes in himself and his evil plan.
2: Yeah. A uh, little detail that I really like a lot uh, that, again, talking about Laurie's humanity and her connection to humanity is she is carrying a bag the entire time, which I believe she took from the wreckage of Manhattan. And so what she's taking is she's taking literal baggage with her as she travels down to the superhero confrontation where everybody else is playing their games and blowing each other up in hallways and fighting. But she's the only one that really knows and understands what's happened in the world. And she's bringing all of that with her. She's Essentially, the way I took it is taking justice for the world along with her. And obviously, it doesn't work out in the long run, but that that's the indication I took from that bag.
1: She has sort of a Pandora uh, role in this, where she's like sort of maintaining the hope in, in all these people and sort of keeping everything going. Maybe that's why she has a little Pandora's bag.
2: Hmm. Uh, the other thing that's neat that happens is we get a double sequence almost that is laid out almost exactly the same way, where Doctor Manhattan is war- walking up to the fortress and he says, I- "I'm sorry, these tachyons. There's muddling things up. I'd better follow him inside." But he's actually saying that later when he is following Adrian Vite on the next page. It's parallel panels. They're in the same exact position on both pages, but he's actually saying that to Night Owl, the exact same phrase, and that happens a couple of times. This is just so great, just in terms of layout, just in terms of pacing and everything. It's very neat.
1: Yeah, and the way that he's in the same, maybe just said the same position, and you can swap Night Owl and Lori; They're in the exact Mm -hmm. same spots if you flip quickly back and forth. Very cool.
2: Yeah, Uh, and the other thing that happens here is very briefly you can see he's put lori in a protective bubble which makes sense because she's in antarctica and she's not wearing pants uh but as soon as he disappears he completely forgets about her she is left alone to walk through antarctica without the protective bubble and has to walk in again total asshole yeah not cool dude keep your force yeah, field speak up Speaking of not cool, you mentioned the hallway earlier that Ozymandias lures him into. Ozymandias kills Bubastus, blows him up. Very sad. Do you think, like Dr. Manhattan, like John Osterman before him, is Bubastus is going to be able to come back as some sort of blue cat?
1: Um, Thanks for chiming in, guys. A hundred percent, yes, Alex. Um, I think that Cat is who we're going to really focus a lot on in the Watchmen TV show. Oh, man, I mm. hope so. A lot of time-traveling Cat.
0: Uh, yeah, yeah, I really felt like the Cat was underused in the comic, and I, uh, I, you know, I, I hope we do get more of it in the next series. Do you think there's a
2: possibility—we've only seen a trailer for it so far, but in the Cats movie— at the end, they're going to turn and say, "By the way, this was Watchmen."
1: Wow! Ooh, yeah, that's cool. The Bubastus yeah. goes to the cat's uh, universe, cinematic universe. Mm-hmm.
2: Bubastus would fit right in with Old Deuteronomy and Trash, Trash Face. <laughs> Boy, I don't know. I think a I lot of the that.
1: cats are named Trash. <laughs>
2: it's a common name. Uh, so let's jump over to the bullet-catching sequence. Uh, Laurie is sobbing. She comes on Ozymandias after he's blown up Dr. Manhattan and Bubastis and she says, "Vite, you're an asshole, and she shoots him, and he bleeds. Now, how, how do you read this sequence? Because the way that I took it is he does catch the bullet, but true to form, he also gets very hurt at the same time.
1: That's yes, what I, I think went. so. I think he caught it in his hand, and his hand got bloody from the bullet.
2: Yeah, uh, which points to that he's very athletic. He is very smart, but he's not actually superhuman. Same as we've been talking about all along.
1: That's what I'm saying. Uh, Unless that's bean juice.
0: Mm. What do you think, Pete? Is it bean juice? I don't know. Man, you know, it could be like capsules. That he has, for, you know, for the show, but like. Yeah, I mean that's this to me was such a like '80s kind of moment where you have like the karate move that saves the day, um, and he like catches the bullet. But it just makes me mad that it's like Laurie, uh, shoot! I, it bothers me when people, if you want to do something, do it. Don't talk beforehand and give up somebody a chance to turn around and get in their karate stance. Shoot know, somebody. No, man. If you, want if to you have a somebody. chance to use a cool line,
1: use that cool line. I oh, agree yeah? completely. I'm just going to drop the line if I have a second. Yeah. What's your line going to be, Justin? Uh, hmm. It'd be like, am I pointing this in the right direction or what?
2: <laughs> 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 and then You're I'm going to shoot myself in the yeah. hand. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. Time to
2: get loaded Oh, because I forgot to load my gun with bullets and then the guy shoots me.
1: Uh, Oh, that's good. I'm going to say guns make me uncomfortable
0: (laughs) and then pull the trigger. Uh, That's a cool line. These are all very cool lines. Pete, do you have a cool line you're going to say? Yeah, I would shoot a bunch and then as they were dying, I would just be like, "Uh, fuck you guys. Oh, wow. (laughs) You'd you'd say afterwards, fuck you guys, but they wouldn't hear you, Pete. Uh, They might hear a little bit of it as they're dying.
1: I guess what I would say is, like all men, I'm turned on right now, no matter what I'm doing. <laughs> uh, then we get an amazing sequence.
2: Dr. Matt was not actually blowed up. He's totally fine, and he's enormous and bashes into the Arctic retreat. Um, I appreciate the fact that we do not see his enormous blue dick at any point of the sequence. Uh, but he does come down to normal size, at which point Adrian Veidt turns on his wall of TVs we get to see exactly what's happening in the world. And very quickly, because of the psychic rays that have spread throughout the world, and this is, uh, I want to go back to this in a second, because it threw me a little bit. Uh, the squid not only blew up because of the psychic rays, but also sent thoughts out to psychics all over the world, uh, and seeded the story that he had created with all of these writers. And ultimately, again, in a very short period of time, Russia and the United States cease hostilities. They decide to work together against this extra threat. Uh, and we end with a paddle of Ozymandias standing in front of the Alexander painting in essentially a spotlight saying, I did it, like he's five years old. Um, the psychics thing threw me a little bit because we've talked about how Doctor Manhattan is really the only superhero in this world, but this seems to establish that there are people with other Extradormal powers in the world of Watchmen. Uh, how did you take it?
1: Yeah, I mean he does. I mean he says he the way he got the psychic wave to come out of the squid was by getting a psychic's brain, and there are people out there who are sensitive to it. Um, I also think maybe Alan Moore just believes that. Yeah, so. I think,
0: yeah, he's very, he's always been very, you know, when he does, uh, you know, Comic-Cons, you know, I'm always hearing him talking about how it's he believes psychics are real. And, you know, he's like, this is just proves my point. So. Yeah, and you mean when he
2: does Comic-Cons and also when we all hang out and get some PSLs or whatever. Yeah. Yep. Yes, because he's one of the co-hosts of the show.
1: Yes, we do that. Oh, he's back. Hey, Alex. Again, once again, that was me. uh, Don't think it's going to go by that you said PSL, meaning pumpkin spice latte, and no one's going to be like, yo, Alex, don't bring that shit into our house.
0: (laughs) Oh, I thought you meant to say, like, PSP or something. no, no.
2: I meant to say PSLs. They're back, Uh,
1: man. They're back. It's October. I thought you meant PCP, which is what we usually take. When we're all hanging out, <laughs> yeah, we take. I usually
2: it. have uh, a PSPCP, which is pumpkin spice PCP. Oh man, <laughs> they don't make that.
1: <laughs> no, they do. Uh, it's very boutique.
2: Let's talk about this panel though. This Ozymandias panel, where he does the Steve Holt raises up his hands and says, <laughs> "I did it." Yeah. What, again? What do you take away from that? I know I've been saying that phrase a lot this episode, but. Uh, it's such a different reaction than we expect from Ozymandias.
1: I think it points to how he, what an arrested development, like boy man he is. Uh, despite the fact that he's winning, this is what I was talking about before. Where like I think Alan Moore is subtly criticizing comic books. Like this man, he accomplishes goal, which was uh, hor- horrifying to the world. He did save the world, maybe, maybe not. And his response is a, a child's response to uh, soar, scoring a soccer goal. So yeah. he, for all of his smarts, he's still just a big old stack of testosterone.
0: But what's weird is that him doing that stops Dr. Manhattan in his tracks. Like he was the giant monster was going to grab him and squeeze his head and kill him. And then all of a sudden he yells, I did it like a five-year-old. And then all of a sudden everybody just gives up, walks away.
2: This... Uh, Well, I want to talk about this next page as well. It's very tied to that and what you're saying, Pete, because this really threw me, this page. This is the page where everybody, Adrian Wright, lays it out. He says, hey, I did it. I saved the world. Everybody's working together. What do you think? Is it worse to let everybody know this is what it is and hostilities resume and the world probably gets destroyed? Or I already did it. I already killed millions of people. And now the world is at peace. Why don't we just go with that? And we get a series of panels where first Dr. Manhattan, then Lori, then night owl have two speech bubbles, each two to three speech bubbles, each where the first one is always, this is terrible. Why did he do this? This is so bad. And the second one in the same panel is, ah, eh, you know what? It's okay. I think we're going to go with this. Well, that ends in Rorschach in one bubble saying, joking, of course, at which point he walks out. Uh, But this is, I think, the first speech bubble structure thing that I've noticed in this book. Uh, What did you take away from the sequence? What were your thoughts on it? Because again, I was surprised that they rattled
0: through these decisions so quickly. I was just, yeah, I was very uh, surprised by that. But also just like, he's, everybody wants to kill him. Then he turns on a couple TV's And everybody, and he goes, I did it. And then everybody's cool with it. We're going to talk like five seconds ago. Your hand was crashing through a building to kill this guy. And now we're just like listening to him and pondering him and being like, you know what, guys, he's got some points. You just he just tried to kill you a couple of seconds ago. And now we're just talking shit out and very upsetting.
1: Well, but so do you think uh, do you think Adrian Veidt was right for what he did? If it it was true that the world was about to be blown up in nuclear warfare, did he do the right thing? Hmm.
0: You don't know if that's true or not, though.
1: Right, but I'm telling you, given those factors, did he do the right thing by sacrificing um, a a, a million people in New York City or four million people in New York City um, and the comedian, sacrificing them to save the rest of the world? Yeah, but
2: like which four million people in
1: New York City? Dude, oh, that's fucked up. It, it was the 4 million worst New Yorkers. I mean, they were in, they were in Times it's Square. Fine. So, oh yeah. Oh, so it's mostly tourists and Elmo's. <laughs> yeah. It's a lot really... of, a lot of dead Elmo's out there. Oh, man. <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay. Sorry. I know that's horrible. Um, two the Elmo fans out there. Yeah. Um, but honestly, like, do you think he did the right thing?
2: I, I will say. So, uh, yeah, I mean, that's the main question of this issue, right? Is, yeah. uh, I think there's a difference, though, between was he right to do what he did versus now that he did what he did, do you expose him or go along with his plan? And well, but I think the uh, fundamental
1: question I mean, if I think they go along with it because they uh, believe in the pragmatist argument that like he did do the right thing or that like what he did is tolerable because of what he how he saved the world,
2: right? I think it's the latter there. I think. He already did it. They can't undo it. They can't bring those millions of people back to life or anything like that. Yes,
0: what, Pete? Dr. Manhattan was talking about time travel, and he has time traveled. Why couldn't he go back and stop this guy?
1: Because I think he thinks it was right. In In this panel, he's like, "This no, he did it, and the world is a better place for it.
2: Yeah, I do want to mention I said something wrong, actually, uh, on the speech bubble thing. Dr. Manhattan, in his panel, has two linked speech bubbles that basically say, no, you argued on Mars, Laurie, that we should save life. Ultimately, the equation balances out to more life the way that Adrian Veidt did it. And it's only Laurie and Dan who have the two separated Speech bubbles where Laurie Says never tell anyone We really have to buy this And then she says Jesus he was right All we did was fail to stop him saving earth Jesus Night Owl basically does the same Thing and then Rorschach Has his one paddle joking of course And that's it um, I, To answer your question Though he's absolutely wrong Adrian Veidt. Mm-hmm. I From my perspective No there is no Sacrifice of life is right But there is a part of me that understands the thought of he already did it. If you expose him, it's only going to make things worse again.
1: Interesting. So you like the passive argument of just being like, well, I may as well not say something and go along with it. You're saying he's wrong because he wasn't sure that it it would Mm -hmm. actually be the end of the world?
2: I think that's part of it. I think also there's no... Scenario where killing millions of people is the right decision to go?
1: Well, I mean, th- this is a direct uh, sort of extension of the end of World War II, dropping the nuclear bombs on, on Hiroshima mm-hmm. and Nagasaki, I think. And uh, that, th- th- those questions are the most difficult ones for all of history, but it's, a, it's tough. Hard well, to say. I think,
0: I, I don't think he should be able to play God. I wouldn't go along with it. I'm, that's why I like Rorschach. Rorschach's exactly. the only one like, fuck this shit, I'm out.
1: Yeah, and, but then he ends up being killed.
0: I, well, fine, you gotta kill, sometimes you gotta die for what you believe in, but like, it, it's bullshit that he gets to do this, and he gets to profit off it, and he gets to live like a king off the fact that he was just, I'm just gonna kill a bunch of people and blame it on his squid. But I think the,
2: <laughs> first of all, never blame anything on a squid.
1: Yeah, uh, I just want to for mention how good something the calamari that calamari is. You can blame yeah, the squid for that. Me. Blame the squid oh. for that. Oh man, you're
2: too delicious, buddy.
1: You I can't stop eating to, you. Just had to eat you, and dip you in some uh, sweet chili sauce. <laughs> oh,
2: marinara, I did want to mention, uh, Justin. You uh, mentioned Hiroshima, and I think that's very apt, given that we've seen the Hiroshima lovers sprinkled throughout the entirety of this comic book. Um, For whatever reason, that didn't occur to me, but I think you're 100% on the money there in terms of that being the metaphor they're talking about. Um, Because, yeah, I I think what I potentially would say they're leaving us with here is that there's always going to be that collateral damage. There's always going to be those innocents who suffer even though you think you're making the right decision for the world, and then the question becomes, do you do what's right for the world, or you do do you do what's right for the individual? And that's what I think Rorschach's choice comes down to in a weird way, and Pete, I know you're going to yell at me at this, but I think Rorschach's decision is selfish. Oh, fuck you, man <laughs> it's I'm not no, I'm not saying I disagree with him. I'm just saying he is making the selfish decision to say. I'm going to do what is morally right for me, not necessarily what is morally right for
0: the world. So, you, but that's not, you don't know if that's why he's doing it. I think he thinks uh, truth is what he needs to, you know, put the truth out there. Justice must be served, that kind of thing. But who is he doing that for? For all the people who died because he wanted to go launch a squid in New York City. I guess I could see that potentially,
1: but if that—I mean—but I, if that results in the world then going back and being blown up, is that the right
0: choice? Well, I mean, what do you? I don't know, man. If you ask somebody whose mom got blown up in New York City, we're like, well. We did it for the right, you know, for everybody as a whole, because maybe a war would have broke out and maybe the retaliation would have been. It's a lot of maybes, man. That guy's a lot killed of maybes, but people. how about
1: this? But telling, sometimes there are plenty of times in our lives where we don't speak harsh truths because we're trying to make the life easier for us and everyone around us. You don't see someone with one eye on the street and say, like, most people have two eyes. <laughs> because you're like you don't know, that does that's a truth that doesn't need to be pointed up to that person. And that so like to extend that uh, all the way out to this at this point to Alex's point like they 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 accept what's happened they real they believe you that You got the somebody great-
0: can travel
1: in time you shouldn't accept what happened. He can't travel he can't in, time, in time. He can't,
2: he can't travel can't. in time. He just exists in
0: every time simultaneously.
1: He's aware of what's happening all the time.
0: Maybe his blue smart ass should figure something out, man. Oh, damn. He's coming for
2: you, man. Dr. Manhattan is coming for you. Uh, Also, on the plus side, I would say that guy whose mom died in uh, the Manhattan squid accident, he's still got some nice galamad. You know what I'm talking about? That's right. (laughs) They're going to eat for weeks. (laughs) Uh, Then... Adrian Veidt leaves Because he's like Hey I'm feeling pretty good About everything Uh, Got some final details Rorschach walks out Dr. Manhattan disappears And Laurie and Night Hour Are left And we Go back To That thing That we talked about earlier Where they make love By the pool Really if anything I think this is just to give us that thing that you were hinting at earlier, Justin, which is we end with them by the pool. It's a reflection of them in the pool, just their shadows laid out exactly like the Hiroshima lovers. They are the thing that are left behind. That's it. Like, I think it's just a setup for that.
1: Yeah. And they're doing the very human thing of, like, connecting and then having sex.
2: Yeah.
1: Sure, sure. Which yeah. we're
2: right going to do at the end of this podcast, just, right? What? Sorry, Pete.
0: Oh yeah, definitely,
1: definitely.
2: Cool.
0: No, I just uh, think that it's like <laughs> it's not realistic. You just had too much shit happen to you. I
1: mean, I, I mean, maybe, uh, but I do think some people like to fill a gap of, or a trauma up with some some sex. <laughs> all right, all right.
2: Yeah. Also, there's another interesting thing about the sequence, which is that Laurie pulls off Dan's mask. And earlier, the whole thing has been, just to be blunt about it, like, he's only been able to get it up because of the costumes and the heroics, and that's it. He's been impotent to otherwise. Here, they are stripped bare. They have become themselves. They finally can be just Dan and Laurie. They don't have to be Silk Spectre and so Night Owl anymore.
0: So you're saying for this guy to get a boner, like, four million people have to die? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I mean... Yeah. Who, let he
2: who is, you know, without sin throw the first stone. That's all wow. I'm saying.
1: <laughs> wow. I don't know if that applies there, Alex, but I like it. <laughs> Let he who is without sin get the first boner after the disaster. <laughs>
0: yeah. Like Jesus uh, preached.
1: Uh, <laughs> uh, and then, uh, Alex, I just wanted, the, between that panel of the, uh, Dan and Laurie's um, shadows on the wall... And the next panel, there's something that resembles that, but in a different place. So it's two separate pictures or ideas put next to each other. And is there a term that uh, you would use there, Mm -hmm. like to the the two, the position of both of those things are uh, interesting? Yeah, I would I would call it something like beside
2: myselfism or uh, parallels, parallels,
1: nearitude,
2: yeah. Uh, uh,
1: the ducks, ducks. The Dexter's the, laboratory. The Dexter's laboratory. Yeah. Dexter's laboratory. That's what it is. They, yeah. The ju- the justin position of these two images is very. <laughs> it's very cool. Oh, you did point that out. So that's yeah. a good name for it. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. The brand. Get the brand out there.
2: Yes. So, yes, of course, it does cut to Rorschach's mask. It's uh, there's no way of not seeing the Hiroshima lovers in his mask, even though I guess you can see whatever you want in his Rorschach blot. Uh, And then we get one of the most famous sequences in the book as Rorschach walks outside. Dr. Manhattan approaches him and says, where are you going? He says, back to Ship, back to America. Evil must be punished. People must be told. Dr. Yep. Manhattan says, Rorschach, you know I can't let you do that. And he says, huh, of course, must protect Vites, new utopia. One more body amongst foundations makes little difference. Well, what are you waiting for? Do it. He says, Rorschach. And he takes off his mask and screams, do it. And he, Dr. Manhattan just blasts him apart, leaving his blood smoking in the snow. And that's it. It's so i hell have a way to go out. Man, uh, we've been talking about the last couple of issues, how Rorschach, and I think we all agree on this, has been regaining his humanity. This, to me, truly is the pinnacle of that. Him finally taking off the mask, being human, being himself, sobbing, looking directly into the camera and saying, do it.
1: Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I agree with that. Uh, the thing that is bothering me about this right now is why is Dr. Manhattan doing this dirty work? Like a couple yeah. pages, a couple pages later, he's like, I'm leaving earth behind. I don't care what happens. I'm going to go make my own planet. Um, so what does he care whether whatever happens here? Exactly. Uh,
0: why is he killing dudes on the way out?
1: Like why, why isn't Adrian Vite who comes out here and is like, mm. come on, man.
2: Um, I don't know. There's a lot of wrap-up from Dr. Manhattan over the next couple of pages. He takes care of Rorschach. He, as we mentioned, looks over Laurie and Dan, who are lying there post-coital, bathes them in blue light, almost like they're his children. He walks over water, and then he walks through walls until he uh, encounters Adrian. They have a brief conversation he drops some info on him. The, the Just to throw something out here, this is kind of off the top of my head, but certainly there's a lot of God imagery happening here, right? So yeah. given that this is Ozymandias post-Tachyon's, post-Squid explosion, post the point when he knew what was going to happen, it's a new world, and he is the God of the new world, so he is really doing some Old Testament shit here. He's smiting people. He's looking at Adam and Eve laying in the garden. He's walking mm. over the water. He is talking to his acolyte, his Adam, and leaving him with some wisdom. Potentially, that's what we're going for here.
1: Uh, I think that's right. I also I, think he gets too, way too close to their naked bodies on that, on that <laughs> owl that uh,
0: Not yeah, I'd also like to say, Zeldon, don't go off script like this, all right? When you go... You know start making stuff up that you're oh, gonna yeah, say sorry instead about instead that like yeah yeah you
2: just thought of that Alex it just came to you right then yeah sorry about that I know for those of you who are listening to the podcast this might not be immediately clear but uh Pete spends usually 60 hours a week scripting out our podcast yeah. for us yeah these mm-hmm. are not improvised in any way including what I'm saying right now it's kind of amazing that Pete actually scripted this part about us being unscripted when I just went I'm, off script I'm a good writer uh, yeah, you're an amazing writer uh, So I apologize for doing that You're really, I would say, Pete The Dr. Manhattan of this podcast Hey, fuck you, man No, 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 I'm just saying because your Dude, dick come is Come on, gonna all out. the That's
0: characters all... You're, gonna call...
2: you're just your dick, it's just hanging out That's why oh, man, you're an uh,
1: that. Sorry, sorry. line? Pete, could you get into my line? <laughs> uh, no, Pete, if anything, you're the Ozymandias of this podcast
0: Oh, man What do you want to be? What do you want to be in this podcast,
1: Pete? The Rorschach? The Rorschach, yep All right, we'll blast you apart at the end of this. Yeah, exactly. When this podcast ends, it's the only way to die, man. To be exploded.
2: The thing, though, though, is nothing ends. Nothing ever ends. You know? Oh boy. You know what I'm saying? I hope this podcast ends at some point. Oh shit! No, it's not. (laughs) It's gonna go on. It's gonna go on on for hours at this point. Uh, So uh, I do want to ask about this sequence, though. As Doctor Manhattan walks up to Adrian Veidt, he walks into the middle of. I think it's a model of an atom, which would probably make sense for Doctor Manhattan, and then says the solar says system. The, also, the solar system, uh, and he says, "John, wait before you leave. I did the right thing, didn't I? It all worked out in the end." And Doctor Manhattan says, "In the end, nothing ends, Adrian. Nothing ever ends." He says, "John, wait. What do you mean by?" And Doctor Manhattan disappears. What did he mean by that? What did he mean by nothing ever ends?
1: Um, I mean, this whole sequence is interesting because the panel right after that, to add it to what we're talking about, Adrian Veidt is looking, um, he's positioned away from the camera, his shadow is looming in front of him, and he looks uh, ashamed or scared about what has just happened.
0: I'm really surprised you don't know what he means by that. This is a plug for The NeverEnding Story, which is a movie that came out very soon after this. Oh, uh, right. It's a tease. Yeah. Another
1: product tie-in from Alan Wild Wings Moore.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>.
1: <laughs> it makes
2: sense, then. That explains why Falcor shows up on the next page. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh,
1: I do, go I ahead, think, Justin. I think what he's saying is... Um, first off, he's brushing him back and saying, like, did I do the right thing? He's like, come on, man, grow up. That's not, I thought we were beyond these human concerns. Because I do think these two characters in this, uh, issue are like, we're bros. We make big decisions. Cool, cool what you did. You got the best of me. Um, and this is Dr. Manhattan and then one last moment being like, ha, I'm still a god. I know that nothing ever ends because I see beyond you. You're, at the end of the day, you're just a human Great. Hey, great job on this plan. Great game out there. But I'm a uh, I'm -hmm. a a god.
2: Yeah, I think that makes sense. It also points to, again, like a five page beyond tease. But it teases what happens at the end of the issue, which is even though we're getting to the end of the comic book, comics continue. Stories continue. uh, They can continue beyond something that I do want to touch on in a couple of pages here. Uh, But I think that's also what he's setting up that it is Alan Moore being metatextual here as well.
1: Yeah. Uh, and also this story doesn't end. Maybe Dr. Manhattan is, has seen that, uh, Rorschach's journal will eventually come out Mm -hmm. and like, this is far from over for you. Ozymandias. Yeah.
2: Uh, Let's, then we get into the next sequence, which we've already talked about quite a bit, where Laurie and Dan show up at Sally Jupiter's place. They're sporting new hairdos, uh, new looks. Dan has a very terrible mustache on. Uh, nothing wrong with mustaches in general, but he has a very bad mustache, I would say. And uh, we get that kiss on the photograph that we talked about earlier, that complicated kiss. Um, anything further to say about this
1: sequence, though? I mean, just looking at it, she, it's not like she's sweetly kissing that photo. She's upset. And th- we see in the foreground in the last look at it, like the lipstick on the picture, and she's like sobbing. So I do think at the very least, this is a very complicated moment and not a like expression of like, you know what? I guess I do love the man who assaulted me.
2: Yeah. The other thing that I will mention that I forgot about that happens right before this is as Dan and Laurie are walking off, they talk about, hey, you know what, maybe we should be masked vigilantes again. Uh, And Night Owl, sorry, Dan says Night Owl and Silk Spectre sounds neat. And she says Silk Spectre's too girly, you know, plus I want a much better costume that protects me. Maybe something with leather with a mask over my face. Also, maybe I ought to carry a gun which cuts to then her kissing the picture of comedian. It's very clear. She's talking about the comedian's costume. That's what he wore leather, a face mask, carried a gun. Um, So to the point that you were bringing up earlier, Pete, I think Lori's journey, you could say over the course of this comic book is going from being inspired by almost the worst aspects of her mother to being inspired by the best aspects of her father.
0: I don't know. Yeah. Oh, man, that's weird. That's a weird thing. I don't, <laughs> I don't know how I feel about that, man. Uh, well, I don't know. Well, I mean, when I've read it and then re-read it, I didn't know that she was like, yeah, I want to carry. I think she wants to carry a gun because, uh, you know, it's a fucked up world. I, I don't know if she was trying to be the comedian, but that's one way to look at it. Yeah, I mean, there's the, the thing from the
2: riots. Uh, right after the bombs are dropped in the Vietnam no, War, no, I want to yeah, say. No, yeah, I know yeah,
0: comedians yeah. often. I'm familiar with it. Yeah.
2: All right. Well, then we get the last couple of pages. Uh, we see uh, a headline that says RR to run in 88, which is Robert Redford running for president. Uh, One World, One Accord. We see the Millennium
1: Perfume. It- in the panel above, we see uh, burgers in borscht. So yes. like, uh, Russian stuff is cool in New York City, obviously. I thought it's yeah. interesting. In the next panel, we have watched the skies rather than uh, who watches the Watchmen mm-hmm. uh, graffiti down the wall.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. yeah, so everything has changed. Uh, and we see two people who did survive the massacre in New York are the Nebishi assistant uh, and the head of the conspiracy newspaper, He's pretty pissed off. They've got to fill some stuff, but nobody wants to piss off the Russians anymore because there's the tentative piece. Uh, and you talked extensively about this a couple of episodes back, Justin, but this dude is wearing the comedians button on his shirt. He's told to get something from the crazy pile and he goes and immediately potentially reaches for Rorschach's journal and says, I leave it entirely in your hands. And yeah. there's so many things going out of that one paddle. It's such a lovely last paddle.
1: It's great. It's so smart. Nice little twist of the knife at the end. But, but maybe he just, reached, he just reached over the journal and grabbed a letter that said, Elvis is my dad. And yeah. uh, that's what changes the world.
0: Yeah, but, I mean, yeah, it is just a smiley face T-shirt that he spills ketchup on. It's not like he went out and bought a, you know... Watchman t-shirt. <laughs> but I uh, think that... It's, again, Alan Moore, all about
2: that product placement. You know oh, what I'm talking yeah. about?
1: Yeah, that Alan Moore g- special gloopy ketchup that he sells on the side. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Dude, that ketchup is good, though. Yeah. It is very good. Oh, really uh, Ketchup gloopy.
2: No, so uh, the couple of things that I take away for going on the paddle. One, it's the comedian's final joke, right? Is yeah. that uh, ultimately the journal is there. Two is he reaching for the journal? Is he reaching for a letter? That's up to your interpretation. Uh, And that last thing, I leave it entirely in your hands. That's Aled Bohr saying it to the reader that I leave it up to you. What do you think happens next? And it's funny to me to see that ending, given the preciousness that's been over Watchmen over the past several decades, And we've certainly talked about this quite a bit, but with things like the Watchmen movie, with things like before Watchmen, which is a project that DC Comics did where they told stories about these characters before the events of Watchmen, and particularly with the Watchmen HBO series, where people have said, no, Watchmen is this untouchable masterpiece. And what I almost take away, and even to the point where Alan Moore is like, you know what, take my name off of this thing, I don't want to be involved in this, but... Uh, This last panel, it's very clear to me that he's saying comics continue. That's the point, is that nothing ever ends like Dr. Manhattan says earlier. So I leave it up to you. If you're going to continue it, you're going to tell more of the story. Fine. If you're not going to tell more of the story, that's fine, too. Ultimately, we've said what we need to say in this 12 issues and we're
1: done. Yeah, I agree. It's. Uh, he means, like, I leave it entirely in your hands except for uh, movies, television, other comic <laughs> books, or really anything at all associated with this thing you just finished reading.
2: Yeah. yeah. As long as it's mayo chip,
1: yeah, it's fine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Watchman Brad mayo chip. Uh,
2: cool. And then uh, we don't get any back matter here. I have the deluxe version, so there's some very... Neat back matter where there's development art that Dave Gibbons did that he contributed Whoa, here. Yeah, uh, I'm pretty cool. I don't yeah, want to like big too time? much. Uh, but it's neat. I definitely recommend picking it up if you can, just because there's also some French portfolio covers that he did that have all the individual characters on the cover. Um, there's nothing too shocking in here, but it's just great to see the additional information and everything. Before we wrap this up, we've certainly talked quite a long time about this twelve issue here. Any final thoughts on Watchmen, the comic book? Pete? Uh,
0: go ahead. Uh, I mean, it's, a, it's an insane story that takes people places and like really rips and tears at your you know, questioning of life and what we're supposed to be doing. It's, you know, it's a powerful piece, and it's really well done. Yeah, Justin. What about you?
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, very similar to Pete. Like, this is like there's a reason this comic is held up as the the quote unquote best comic or like the ultimate uh, holy grail of the comic book industry. And I think we could talk about this forever. There's so much depth to it, so much complexity. Uh, It's a lot of people read this being like, this is a great superhero team, and this like so far from what they actually are. They're just like. A bunch of complicated, messed up characters who uh, heroes and villain. The, the line between hero and villain is blurred throughout this whole series. Uh, it's it's great. Yeah. I always recommend reading this only after you've read many years of other comic
2: books. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was the thing I was going to say too. Just to bring it back to what we mentioned in our preview episode in the first episode, just to you know really wrap this up. But don't read it first. But. I'm so happy we read it again because it's a good book just beyond the density, beyond the weight of it it, that it's had in comic book culture. It's a fun book to read. It's a good story. It's well drawn. It's well colored. Um, and it's an entertaining mystery throughout. So that, to me, has been the big thing that I've taken away from it, is I feel like I have a better appreciation of it, not just on a textual level, but just also on an entertainment level. That it's the sort of thing you can recommend to people as, hey, this is something you can take a lot away from or a little away from, but at the same time, you're going to get something from it. Yeah. Now, a little order of business before we move on. Starting next episode, we're going to move to once a week for our episodes. We're going to be recapping episodes of the HBO show. Those air Sundays on HBO, so our episodes recapping and breaking down those episodes will go up a little later in the week, so stay tuned for that uh, versus the twice-a-week schedule we've been doing for the comic book, Um, but that said for any information on that and when that's coming up uh you can check us out at watchman watch podcast on either instagram or facebook you can also do watchman watch one on twitter patreon.com slash comic book club to support the show and many more and please do if you can chip in a couple of bucks to do things like transcripts etc cost a little bit of money so we really appreciate the support Plus, we've been having, as we mentioned at the beginning of this episode, some great discussions about Watchmen in our Watchmen Watchroom on our Patreon, only Slack. So we would love to have you join there. That would be awesome. We also do a live show every Tuesday night at 8 p.m. at the People's Improv Theater Loft in New York. So come on down. We'll chat with you about Watchmen and other things. And remember, we taped this episode 35 minutes ago.
1: And I'm Alan Moore signing off.
2: <gasps> he came back.